Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 69 of the show, and uh, it's another good episode for you. Of course, we have men's college basketball that has completed the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8. So we are currently sitting at the Final Four. We will break all that down and see how it turned out on the men's side of things. Then over in the PGA Tour, we had a pretty phenomenal golf tournament take place this last weekend. And uh, we'll get into that here in just a second. Preview this weekend's matchup. Just a week to go until the Masters. So we'll talk about that. And then over in the NBA, the season is just about done. A little over a week left in the NBA season, so we'll do a playoff preview, an updated playoff preview in that, which it has changed. And then over in the NHL, we'll also do a kind of a, a standings update slash playoff preview there. We got about a month left, a little under a month left of the NHL season, so we got plenty to get into. And we'll start off in the PGA Tour and this past weekend's event was the World Golf Championship Dell Technology Match Play, which was at the Austin Country Club in Austin, Texas. Par 71, distance 7,108 yards. Now, the course itself is very nice, and uh, the front nine uh, basically is the, the Texas Hill Country kind of more flat, um, like what you would used to see Texas golf uh, and then the back nine is more of the, um, that's the lake, lake view holes, basically. The, the lowlands holes beside Lake Austin. So very beautiful scenery on the back nine. Uh, much more scenic than the front nine. Um, but the field in this thing was really solid. Uh, 63 of the top 69 ranked players in the world were out there, including all top five players in the world. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau came back from injury, didn't play real well. Few of the guys that were missing were uh, Cameron Smith, Hideki Matsuyama, Rory McIlroy, and Sam Burns. So basically, how this thing went—it's not your normal golf tournament. How it went down: there were 64 golfers. They were all given a ranking based on their official World Golf ranking at the Monday to start this tournament. So we had 16 groups of four players, and for the first three rounds. It was a Wednesday through Sunday tournament, so it was five days. Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, all the golfers played one round against each of the other members in their group. And whoever had the the most points or the best record out of that group advanced on to the Sweet 16. Because we're all golf is keeping the theme of March Madness here, uh, which is terrific. So... I'm just going to run through who won the groups. Group one, the groups were randomized, basically. So you had your uh, top 16 players uh, in the rankings were in each group, basically. They were the top seed in each group, and then the rest of the players kind of fell in line. So group one, John Rahm won that over Reed, Munoz, and Young. Group two, Morikawa, Colin Morikawa won that over Garcia, Kokrak, and McIntyre. Group three, your winner was Will Zalatoris. He beat out Hovland, Tringale, and Straka. Group four, Seamus Power, in a stunner, beat Patrick Cantlay, Keith Mitchell, and Sungjae Im in that group. Group five, Scotty Scheffler beat a trio of Englishmen and Matthew Fitzpatrick, Tommy Fleetwood, and Ian Poulter. Kevin Kistner won Group 6 over Justin Thomas, Mark Leishman, and Luke List. Group 7, Takumi Kanaya, another surprising winner over Lucas Herbert, Xander Shoffley, and Tony Finau. Group 8 was won by Dustin Johnson over Mackenzie Hughes, Max Homa, and Matt Wolf. 
Group 9, Richard Bland, another surprising winner over Taylor Gooch, Lee Westwood, and Bryson DeChambeau, who just did not look anything like himself. Group 10, Corey Connors looked really good, went 3-0 in group play over Alex Noren, Louis Oosthuizen, and Paul Casey, who actually had to withdraw to a back injury, so he didn't even get to finish his, his first round. Group 11, Adam Scott played really well this weekend. He won Group 11 over Justin Rose, Jordan Spieth, and Keegan Bradley. Group 12, Billy Horschel was your winner over Peters, Lee, and Hoagie. Group 13, Tyrell Hatton beat uh, Kim, Berger, and Bezadenhout. Group 14, Na, Kevin Na was your winner over Maverick McNeely, Joaquin Neiman, Russell Henley. Another surprise winner there, especially with the way that Neiman has been playing lately. Group 15, Abraham Anser beat Bubba Watson, Webb Simpson, and Brian Harmon. And then Group 16, Brooks Kepka beat out Harold Varner, Shane Lowry, and Eric Van Royen. So those were your 16 group winners. You go on to the uh, rest of the the bracket for the Sweet 16. Um, it was pretty solid field of 16 players. Uh, there were only two previous winners of this tournament who had made it to the Sweet 16. That was Dustin Johnson and Kevin Kistner. Um, round of 16 started off with Abraham Answer just absolutely annihilating Colin Morikawa. He won 7-6, and six, meaning he was, he was up by seven holes with only six holes to play. So Answer just destroyed Morikawa. That was the largest margin of victory in the round of 16 in this event's history. All right? Uh Corey Connors knocked out Takumi Kanaya. Adam Scott was up on Kevin Kisner three holes on two separate times, but Kevin Kisner birdied his final four holes to uh, beat Adam Scott one up. Now, Kisner had overcome a three-hole deficit twice in that, so very impressive stuff there from Kevin Kisner, who moved on. Will Zalatoris beat Kevin Na in 22 holes. They had a four-hole playoff before Zalatoris moved on. Uh, Tyrell Hatton lost 4-3 and three to Seamus Power. Kind of pretty embarrassing there for Hatton. Did not look good at all. So Power was your winner. Scotty Scheffler went one up on Billy Horschel. Took care of business there. Uh, Dustin Johnson beat Richard Bland. And then in just a heavyweight bout, uh, Brooks Kepka beat John Rahm in 19 holes. So in the Elite Eight, Abraham Answer and Corey Connors. Corey Connors uh, beat Answer by two shots. Kevin Kistner beat Will Zalatoris four and three. Pretty surprising to see Zalatoris not play that well against Kistner, considering he had in group play and against Kevin Na. So Kistner knocked out Zalator. Scotty Scheffler beat Seamus Power 3-2. and two. And then Brooks Kepka uh, lost to Dustin Johnson 2-up, uh, basically. DJ was 2-up to advance there. That set up the final four matchups. Corey Connors versus Kevin Kistner. Kistner ended up winning that 2-up. Uh, and then the other final four matchup was Scotty Scheffler and Dustin Johnson. And Scheffler just completely... Um, annihilated DJ in that one. Uh, DJ tried to make it close, put a few birdies together on the back nine, but uh, ended up uh, falling just short there. So on championship Sunday, the third place match to tee off first was Corey Connors and Dustin Johnson, the losers of the uh, final four matchups. And Connors beat Johnson three and one. Um, Corey Connors won the first three holes and never really looked back. Kind of a, a, I think Dustin Johnson was very disappointed in his effort, and you could tell he was kind of, uh, kind of mind screwed a little bit in that match with Connors. And then the Sunday afternoon matchup, the championship match, was Kevin Kistner and Scotty Scheffler, and um, Kistner was just hanging on for dear life. Uh, Scheffler just kept pummeling the ball, driving it three hundred and something yards right down the middle every time. Scheffler ended up winning four and three, beat, uh, was four up with three holes to play. So a big win there for Scheffler. That, uh, believe it or not, was Scotty Scheffler's third victory in his last five starts after not winning anything in his first 70 starts. So very impressive stuff there from Scheffler. First uh, PGA Tour player 
since 2016-2017 to win three events before the Masters Tournament. Uh, and he also, with the victory, is the second player to win after finishing second the previous year. All right, so Scheffler was the runner-up last year, won it this year, and he's also the first Texas Longhorn to win here at the Austin Country Club. So Hook'em Horns, uh, good victory for Scheffler. And the victory actually moves him up to number one in the official world golf rankings, passing John Rahm. So uh, if you've watched any bit of golf over the last month and a half, you know that Scotty Scheffler is the best player in the world right now. So uh, his ranking reflects that. The eye test tells you that he is absolutely the best golfer in the world right now. And I'm not so sure that he's not going to win a green jacket in two weeks. But uh, before we get to Augusta, we have to play this weekend's tournament, which is the Valero Texas Open. It's at TPC San Antonio, the Oaks course which, of course, is in San Antonio, Texas. It's a par 72, distance 7,438 yards. So uh, a little longer, about 300 yards longer than uh, the Austin Country Club. Uh, the course itself here at TPC San Antonio, pretty traditional design, uh, wider fairways. There's only, uh, the, the entire elevation for the whole course is only about 100 feet, so it's pretty flat, uh, typically at TPC San Antonio, from what we've seen in recent years, the downhill holes kind of play into the wind, whereas the uphill holes play downwind. So it uh, kind of helps if you're you're playing an uphill hole, but the downhill holes kind of play into the wind. So be interesting to see how that San Antonio weather cooperates this week. Now, the winner of this field does qualify for the Masters next weekend, which if they've not already qualified. So the field itself is pretty average. Um, there are some big-name players out there, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, Hideki Matsuyama, Jordan Spieth, and Rory McIlroy, um, but there's also a lot of newcomers. Now, all in all, there's 20 upcoming Masters participants teeing it up this week. So 20 guys out of this week's field will be in Augusta next week. One of them I mentioned is Rory McIlroy, which this is actually the first time in eight years that he's playing the week before the Masters. Now, he hasn't won a Masters. He's won all three of the other majors, so he just needs the Masters to complete his career Grand Slam. So maybe um, he's breaking his bad luck of not playing the week before the Masters and changing it up to uh, maybe playing well this week and building on that. So keep an eye on Rory McIlroy over the next couple weeks. But either way, this is kind of like the Valero Texas Open is kind of like the forgotten tournament because you got the WGC event in Austin, uh, and then the San Antonio event is sandwiched between that and the Masters, which, of course, we all know what that is. So uh, we'll we'll have a pretty good in-depth preview on next week's show about the, the Masters, but and we'll recap the Valero Texas Open. But it's still going to be good golf, even though it's kind of like a forgotten kind of get-me-to-Augusta tournament. It's easy to look forward to that. But I'll be tuned in this week to San Antonio and um, should have some pretty decent golf. But we'll move on to the NCAA and men's college basketball, the March Madness Tournament. Uh, last week's episode, we previewed the Sweet 16. Uh, this past weekend, we've played the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 matchup, so we currently now know who the Final Four is. And uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. But we'll recap the Sweet 16 first, starting off in the West region. Now I'm going to preface this. I gave game by game predictions on last week's episode. And if you actually kept score and know what my record is on those predictions, you're probably tuning me out at this point. So I completely understand if that's the case, but this, this college basketball tournament has been far crazier than any that we've seen in recent memory. And, um, so I, I do have that going for me. The fact that it's been incredibly unpredictable. So, um, First matchup in the West was number one, Gonzaga, against number four, Arkansas. And I had picked Gonzaga to win. They did not. Uh, they got upended by the Razorbacks, 74-68. Uh, Gonzaga just couldn't score. Went several minutes in the second half without a basket. And then still couldn't make free throws. That was a huge problem all tournament. And then Chet Holmgren, their center, uh, probable number one pick in the NBA draft, fouled out with about four minutes left so that certainly didn't help their cause so uh, top overall seed got booted in the sweet 16 by the Razorbacks 
The other matchup in the West was number two, Duke, against number three, Texas Tech. Now, I picked Duke to win this game, and they did, 78-73. It was a close game, really, until the last uh, minute and a half or so when Duke uh, started making their free throws. But uh, this is Coach K's final year. Uh, I was half-tempted to pick Duke to win the entire tournament, but I just couldn't see them beating Gonzaga uh, for a second time this year because they had beaten them earlier this year. Well, I didn't have to worry about that because Gonzaga lost, so Duke played Arkansas in the Elite Eight. Um, Over in the East region, the Sweet 16 matchups, you had number four UCLA against number eight North Carolina. I picked UCLA to win, and uh, North Carolina proved to be just uh, a really hot team. They won 73-66. To advance, um, other game was number three Purdue against number fifteen Saint Peter's. Now, this game was on Friday, March twenty fifth, which apparently is National Peacock Day. Okay, didn't know that was a thing, but it is. And you think the Peacocks of Saint Peter's were going to lose on National Peacock Day? Absolutely not. And had I known that, I would have not have picked Purdue. But I did pick Purdue, and the Peacocks came through on National Peacock Day, 67-64. Unbelievable. St. Peter's be the first team. They became the first team, uh, first 15 seed, rather, to ever make it to the Elite Eight. They were the third 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16. But they, with that victory, uh, they have done something that no other 15 seed has done, and that was make it to the Elite Eight. So uh, that set up a North Carolina-St. Peter's matchup that we'll get to in a second. Over in the um, South region, first Sweet 16 game was number one Arizona against number five Houston. And uh, I picked Arizona to win. I actually picked Arizona to play in the national title game against Gonzaga. Well, Houston won um, 72-60. Wasn't really close. Arizona just... um, you know, they had a scare against TCU in that round of 32, and they just couldn't recover from that. Didn't look good. Houston was pretty much up all game on them, and uh, the Cougars of University of Houston advance. And uh, the other game in the South region was number two Villanova against number 11 Michigan. I picked Michigan to win. This was their fifth straight Sweet 16. Had Hunter Dickinson locked and loaded, double-double machine. And, uh, yeah, that was incorrect because Villanova won 63-55. So, I'll tell you what, Villanova is phenomenal. And they, Jay Wright is certainly a top three coach in college basketball. No question about it. So that set up an Elite Eight matchup of Villanova against Houston. We'll get to in a minute. Over in the Midwest region, the two Sweet 16 matchups, number one, Kansas, against number four, Providence. I picked Kansas to win. Kansas did win 66-61, although Providence, man, they have they looked good. They gave Kansas a dose for sure and uh, just proved that they were – Providence was the legit team that everybody had questioned all year. So Kansas moves on. They play the winner of the uh, number 10 Miami against number 11 Iowa State. I picked Iowa State coming out of the Big 12 to win this game, and uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Miami won 70-56, to wasn't really close. Um, I didn't realize Miami was such a wagon, Uh, and I mean, they are a ridiculous team. Didn't realize that when we were making all these picks back when the tournament first started, so that would have been helpful information. But uh, so that sets up Miami and Kansas. Now we'll preview or just recap quickly these Elite Eight matchups. Uh, Duke versus Arkansas over in the West. Um, Duke just came out and it was never really close. Duke won 78 69. Um, Arkansas's magic kind of ran out, didn't play defense as well as they could have. JD Note fouled out with, um, you know, I think it was around. Five minutes left, maybe. So without Note, the, the Hogs had no chance. So Duke is your West region champion in the Final Four. Over in the East region, North Carolina against St. Peter's. 
I was pulling for the Peacocks. I wanted St. Peter's to win really bad. Who didn't, right? I mean, who who the hell outside of North Carolina fans was rooting for North Carolina? Nobody. Not not anybody in the country. Um, well, St. Peter's saw their Cinderella story end. Um, really, they, they were abysmal shooting the ball. I think they started like three for 21 on their field goals at one point. Um, they only, you know, amassed 49 points and lost by 20. Uh, Carolina, you know, Carolina only scored 69 points, which, you know, is, is good enough to win an average game. But the way that St. Peter's had been playing, um, I didn't think that if you'd have told me Carolina only scored 69 points, I'd have told you that St. Peter's would have won the game. So, uh, but that doesn't account for, for how bad St. Peter's shooting was. They just picked a really bad game to have a really bad day. But nonetheless, uh, the story that they wrote this year, absolutely incredible and um, something that I'm not sure we'll see done for a while. So uh, North Carolina is your East Region champion in the Final Four. The mid or the South Region was Villanova and Houston. And this game, I, I wasn't so sure that Houston wasn't going to win. Uh, the way that they had played against Arizona and Illinois, uh, you know, I, I liked Houston to win the game, but Again, like I said, Villanova's just so good. This was a very low-scoring game. Uh, Villanova won the game 50-44. to 44. Um, Not a whole lot of baskets in this one, but uh, Nova's defense just proved to be a bit much for Houston when it mattered most. So Villanova is your South Region champion in the Final Four. And in the Midwest Region, it was Kansas versus Miami. And this thing was uh, an absolute just bludgeoning. Uh, the game was pretty close at half, but Kansas outscored Miami by 32 points in the second half to roll into the final four. All right, 76 to 50 was that final after just blowing Miami out of the water. So the final four, we have uh, Duke versus North Carolina on one side of the bracket, and then on the other side of the bracket is Villanova versus Kansas. Now, all four of these schools are blue blood college basketball programs. They all wear blue. Um, I will say, let me back up for a second. The, the Elite Eight, the combined seed count for the Elite Eight was 47, which was the highest ever combined Elite Eight seed count that we've ever seen. Okay, so uh, pretty pretty incredible stuff there. Uh, but the Final Four, like I said, uh, Duke, this is their 17th Final Four appearance in school history. Coach K's 13th, which breaks John Wooden's record for the most coaching appearances in the Final Four in all time. Of course, North Carolina, they ended St. Peter's Cinderella story uh, by just thumping the Peacocks. So uh, they're in Kansas. Uh, just again, another <clears throat> another insane game that they've played. I mean, they've they're one of the top five programs in college basketball history, and Villanova is quickly becoming that. This their Elite Eight victory to send them to the Final Four was their twentieth NCAA tournament win since twenty sixteen, which is the most victories during that time frame ahead of uh, Gonzaga, North Carolina, Kansas, and Michigan. So you're looking at the final four, only 0.1% of ESPN brackets out of roughly 18 million correctly predicted the final four. So that's basically, I think there was, it's about 1.8 million-ish, 0.1% out of 18 million. So, um, Seems strange, given the names in this Final Four, like Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Villanova. Like It doesn't seem like a shocking Final Four, but the caveat is that North Carolina was an eight seed coming into this thing, and they were not projected to be in the Final Four. Now, if you remember over the last couple episodes, I mentioned one of the things about the tournament in general was that a seven seed or lower has made the Final Four in seven of the last eight tournaments. Well, you can now make that eight out of the last nine with the eight seed Tar Heels being in the final four. Um, just, again, 
a crazy year. Um, their career records in the Final Four school and school history: Duke is eleven and five in their Final Four games. North Carolina is eleven and nine. Kansas is nine and six, and Villanova is four and two all time in Final Four games. That Duke North Carolina game. It's actually the first ever meeting between these two teams in the NCAA tournament's history. They play each other multiple times a year, both being in the ACC. And they've appeared, they have appeared in one Final Four together. That was back in 1991, but they did not end up playing each other. So, uh, in fact, this is the first time since 1998 that both Duke and North Carolina made it to the Elite Eight in the same year, which I find very hard to believe. Um, that just doesn't seem... 24 years since the last time we've seen Duke and North Carolina both in the Elite Eight. This just doesn't doesn't seem like that's the case. But uh, nonetheless, it's the first ever tournament matchup. And uh, if I'm making a prediction, I'm going Duke. Uh, North Carolina is a buzzsaw right now. I wouldn't want to play them. But I also wouldn't want to play Duke. Uh, they have a lot more to play for. Coach K's final year, um, I think Duke is going to get it done and beat the Tar Heels in this one. And then Kansas-Villanova, it's a rematch of the 2018 Final Four game between these two teams, and in that game, Villanova won 95-79 to to make it to the championship where they would ultimately end up winning. Now, my prediction for this, um, I'm just done picking against Villanova. I don't care. Kansas is good. Kansas may win, might win, probably will win, but I'm taking Villanova. Why the hell not? All right, I'm 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 tired of picking against Jay Wright and Villanova. All they continue to do is win. And so uh, give me Duke and Villanova in the championship game, and uh, we'll check back in and see how that looks. The uh, final four games are all played in New Orleans. All right. Uh, at, I think it's at the uh, Mercedes-Benz, or Caesars Superdome, as it's called now. Um, the... Final four games are this Saturday, April 2nd, both of them on that same day. And then the national championship game is um, Monday, April 4th, just two days after that. So I picked Duke and Villanova in the title game, and uh, I'm going to take Duke to win the national title. Just Coach K's final year. I think there's something storybook about it. So give me Duke and Villanova and uh, give me Duke to win it all. And we'll check back in on next week's episode to see how those predictions turned out. But we'll move over to the National Basketball Association, do a playoff picture preview uh, here in the NBA. Uh, The last day of the regular season is Sunday, April 10th, so we are quickly approaching that. Most teams have about five or six games left in their regular season, so we're not going to see a whole lot of movement um, with the playoff standings as they currently sit Uh, we're going to start off in the eastern conference though the bottom you know mind you the the way that this works the top six teams in each conference at the end of the regular season get into the playoffs seeds seven through ten are in a play-in tournament okay to determine the actual seven and eight seeds so in the eastern conference what that looks like right now the seventh seed is the cleveland cavaliers there would they would play the eighth seed brooklyn nets in in a one game uh, right, one game matchup there. The winner of that game would be the number seven seed. The loser would play the winner of the nine ten matchup between the Charlotte Hornets and the Atlanta Hawks. Okay, so loser of the Cavs Nets plays the winner of the Hawks and Hornets, and then the winner of that game plays the number one seed, uh, Miami Heat, who have. Currently, are currently sitting atop the East, but the East has fluctuated this past week. I know the Boston Celtics were up there at one point this past week, so that's that's going to be subject to change, I think. But the winner of that game between the Hawks Hornets winner and the loser of the Nets Cavs would play the top seed. They would be the official eighth seed. So as I just alluded to, Miami's the number one seed currently. Uh, they would play the eighth seed, uh, which is the winner of of that final play-in game. The number two seed currently is the Milwaukee Bucks. They would play the winner of the Cavaliers-Nets game, all right? So the winner of that game directly goes into the seventh seed, and so that's how you have that other play-in tournament game to determine the eighth seed. The current three seed is the Boston Celtics. They are slated to play the number six Toronto Raptors, who are one of the hotter teams right now, having won eight out of their last ten. 
And then the number four seed Philadelphia 76ers would play the number five seed Chicago Bulls. So you have those matchups there in the East. Um, those those 10 teams that I just talked about in the East are pretty much going to be your 10 teams because the New York Knicks are the current 11 seed sitting on the outside looking in, but they're four and a half games back of Atlanta. Uh, I do not see them making that up in a week. So those 10 teams that I just mentioned there in the East are probably going to be it. Uh, just uh, the only thing we don't know at this point is the exact order of how they finish. But over in the Western Conference, the play-in tournament looks like this. Currently, the seventh seed is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They would play the number eight seed, Los Angeles Clippers. And the winner of that game would be the seventh seed, uh, taking on the two seed. So, uh, real quick note on the Clippers. They just got Paul George back into their lineup the other night. Uh, He's been gone since Christmas with an injury. And he came back into the lineup against the Utah Jazz and the Clippers got down by 25 points but came back to win. And the comeback itself, pretty wild. Uh, it was ignited by a technical foul on Jazz forward guard Donovan Mitchell. He had actually called a timeout that the Jazz did not have. So uh, they gave him a technical foul, and that kind of sparked this comeback. But nonetheless, the Clippers um, have Paul George back. So the, the winner of the Wolves and Clippers would be the seventh seed. The loser of that game would play the winner of the 9-10 game between the New Orleans Pelicans and the San Antonio Spurs. Pelicans are 9, Spurs are 10 currently. And so whoever would win the game uh, between uh, whichever the Pelicans or Spurs game winner would play the loser of the Wolves-Clippers. Whoever won that game would be the 8th seed, and they would play the top overall seed in the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns, who are just they're ridiculous. They're 61-14. and 14. The Suns have actually clinched the number one overall seed for the entire playoffs um, best record in the league, and it's not even close. So the Suns would play the eight seed. The number two seed is the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, they're 53 and 23. They have officially clinched a playoff spot. Uh, definitely going to be that two seed. It looks like they're kind of locked in there. Uh, so the, the Grizzlies would play the winner of the Wolves Clippers. So your three seed currently is the Golden State Warriors. They would play the number six seed Denver Nuggets if the playoffs started today. And then the 4-5 matchup's a good one. Fourth seed is the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, there are two games in front of the five seed Utah Jazz, who they would play in the first round. And now they've just played the Jazz a couple times in this last week and a half, and they've looked really good against the Jazz. Um, so, uh, But the Mavericks have been playing so well lately that they are only one game behind the Golden State Warriors. Okay, the Mavs have won seven out of ten out of their last ten. Uh, they're only one game behind Golden State, so it, it is possible that Dallas could move up to the three seed and play the Nuggets, or the Jazz and the Nuggets kind of flip flop. So it's it's possible we, we got a little bit of movement going on here in the West, but it's possible the Mavericks could end up as the three seed. Now you'll notice the team I did not mention in the Western Conference is the Los Angeles Lakers. Okay. They are currently the 11th seed in the West uh, out of the play-in tournament as it sits right now. Now, they have the same record as the 10th seed, the Spurs, uh, but San Antonio owns the tiebreaker over Los Angeles for the other games that they've played this year. So And so, too, do the New Orleans Pelicans. So the Lakers lose both tiebreakers to the Pelicans and Spurs. So if they are tied with either or both of those teams at the end of the regular season here in a week, at the Lakers will be on the outside looking in. Now, LeBron sat out the other night uh, when they played uh, here in Dallas. The Mavericks just absolutely pummeled the Lakers. Lakers gave up 82 points in the first half, which uh, is the most points given up in a half by the Lakers since they moved to Los Angeles. So just an incredible, uh, incredible performance by the Mavericks. But like I said, Lakers are really on the outside looking in. It's going to be... it's going to be really an interesting finish to see. Uh, that's really all that can make the playoffs uh, here in the Western Conference. The Pelicans, Spurs, and Lakers, those three teams are going to fight for those final two uh, spots in the play-in tournament. So keep an eye on that. But uh, during the month of March here in the NBA, real quick note, there have been eight 50-point games by players in the NBA, which is the most 50-point games in a single month in the last 50 seasons. Okay, LeBron James has had two of them. Kyrie Irving has had two of them. And quick note on Kyrie Irving, he's back in the lineup every day now that New York City has lifted that 
you know, vaccine mandate. So Irving's a full-time player. Him and LeBron, they each have two. Kevin Durant, Jason Tatum, Carl Anthony Towns, and Sadiq Bey of the Detroit Pistons all have one 50-point game in March. So uh, eight 50-point games in March, just an incredible amount of scoring by some high-level players. Um, but yeah, so we'll uh, we'll do a we'll know by the next week's episode we should have um, a pretty good look at these uh, playoffs. The, the episode next week will get released before the official end of the regular season, so we'll try and keep you up to date as as quickly as we can on on those matchups. But we'll definitely have a more clear picture here in the next uh, seven or eight days. But we'll move on to the National Hockey League and do a standings update. Uh, here in the NHL. The last day of the regular season is Friday, April 29th. So most teams have played around 65 to 67 games. So we're coming up on that uh, 13 to 15 games left mark for all teams. And uh, the Eastern Conference, we pretty much know what's going to happen there. The Western Conference is still very fluid. Uh, But before we get into the standings update, there's been a lot of high-scoring games in the NHL this season. We've seen a couple in this past week. Calgary beat Edmonton 9-6 to one night over the weekend. And then like a night or two after that, Pittsburgh Penguins beat the Detroit Red Wings 11-2, to which is just insane. That's like almost a football score. Uh, there have been five games this year in which one of the teams playing has scored at least nine goals in a game, which is a lot. And three of those games have actually happened against the Detroit Red Wings. So uh, I I don't think the Wings, you know, they were kind of in the playoff mix for a while, but as the season's gone on, they've definitely faded out of that. But they're still a good young team, uh, but certainly need to improve things on the defensive side if that is the case. But we'll start off since we know the Eastern Conference is pretty much wrapped up in terms of the team's uh, we'll start off and do the wild card standings updates where we do the top three teams in each division plus the two wild card teams. In the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division, Carolina Hurricanes are up top there with 96 points. Uh, New York Rangers, they're second with uh, 91 points. They've won three in a row, seven out of their last 10. Uh, and then the Pittsburgh Penguins are third in the Metro with 90 points. So they're one point back of New York, six points back of Carolina. Still plenty of time for them to move up into that two spot. I don't think they're going to catch Carolina, but uh, those are looking likely to be your three teams uh, representing the Metro division in terms of the top three. Over in the Atlantic division, Florida Panthers are up top there with 96 points. They've won seven out of their last ten. They got Claude Giroux at the trade deadline. He had a few points in his first game. Uh, Wouldn't want any part of them in the playoffs. They are six points clear of the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are second in the Atlantic with 90 points. And then the three seed currently is the Toronto Maple Leafs with 89 points. Uh, Now, Toronto, uh, they're only one point back of Tampa, uh, but they've been kind of going back and forth with Boston. Now, the Boston Bruins are the first wild card team with 87 points, so they're two points back of Toronto. So it is possible that Boston can jump Toronto for that three spot in the Atlantic, sending Toronto to a wild card game. But... Uh, I think Toronto's too good to let that happen. It's only a one-game difference in terms of points. They both played the same number of games as it sits now, So, but that'll be interesting. But Boston is going to be in the playoffs either as a wild card or a three-seed in the Atlantic. And then the other wild card team in the East is the Washington Capitals with 84 points. So they are six points back of the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Metropolitan Division. I don't see them climbing up into that top three there with Carolina, New York, and Pittsburgh. But uh, Washington will be a wild card team for sure because they are 15 points clear of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are the first team out. So we know who the the uh, 10 teams or the eight teams rather are going to be in the Eastern Conference. We just don't know the order, uh, but certainly going to be uh, exciting to keep an eye on that as that unfolds here with uh, a few weeks left. And then over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, Colorado Avalanche. They are the first team in the league to reach 100 points this year. They currently sit right on the button at 100. They were pretty active at the trade deadline, got some good scoring depth. So uh, I would certainly look for them to lock up the central here in the next uh, week or so. And then the number two seed currently is the Minnesota Wild. They have won seven games in a row, eight out of their last 10. 
They were very active at the trade deadline. Of course, they got Marc-Andre Fleury and Nett to go with Cam Talbot. Very formidable goaltending duo there in Minnesota, and they're playing some damn good hockey. And they're still 14 points back of the Avalanche. Now, with the Wild, uh, forward Kirill Kaprizov scored his uh, 60th career goal this past weekend. It was only his 116th NHL game. The only active player to do to score 60 career goals in fewer than 116 games is Alex Ovechkin, who did it in 95 games. But uh, Kirill Kaprizov is the real deal. He is, uh, he's got like 37 or 38 goals this year and just certainly going to be over 40. The Wild, I wouldn't want any part of them in the playoffs uh, either. The three seed in the Central currently is the Nashville Predators with 82 points. They're four points back of Minnesota, 18 points back of Colorado. So uh, Minnesota is going to be either that two or three spot there in the Central. Over in the Pacific Division, the Calgary Flames, uh, they are up top there with 88 points. Los Angeles Kings have 81 points. They're second in the Pacific, seven points back of Calgary. And then the Edmonton Oilers are third in the Pacific currently with 79 points. Uh, Two points back of the Kings and nine points back of the Flames. Now the wildcard teams right now, as it currently sits, are both from the Central Division. The first wildcard is the St. Louis Blues with 81 points. So they're only a point behind Nashville, five points behind Minnesota, uh, I can certainly see a situation, St. Louis has a couple games in hand on Nashville. I can see a situation where St. Louis jumps up into that top three, bumping Nashville back down, but I don't think the Blues are going to catch the Wild. And then the second wild card team at the moment is the Dallas Stars. All right, They uh, have 77 points. Uh, they're one point clear of Vegas. Now, with the Stars, um, they're you know five points back of, of Nashville for that three spot in the Central uh, the Stars, though, they were also made a couple of moves at the deadline. One of them was acquiring backup goalie Scott Wedgwood. He made his debut for Dallas last week against the Carolina Hurricanes, top seed in the East. He made 44 saves, and the Stars won in a shootout, which was on the road in Carolina. Very impressive victory, uh, very impressive for Scott Wedgwood. Now, Jason Robertson, forward for the Stars, he became the fastest Dallas star to reach 30 goals in a season since Mike Madano in 1994. So uh, interesting note there. He's a terrific young player, certainly the future of the Stars. Um, the Stars also, the other night, quick note here, they played the Anaheim Ducks this past week for the first time since January 9th of 2020, which was 810 days between matchups. That's the second longest NHL matchup not to be played behind the Boston Celtics, or Boston Bruins, rather, and St. Louis Blues. And so you remember last year, the the schedule for the NHL, uh, they just played interdivision games only all year, so they they weren't playing teams from other divisions. So that's why the Stars and the Ducks haven't played in almost, uh, well, it's been over two years, 810 days. So, uh, But Dallas currently sits one point in front of the Vegas Golden Knights for that second wild card spot. Vegas is at 76 points. They just placed forward Riley Smith on long-term injured reserve, so he's probably going to miss the rest of the regular season. So keep an eye on that. Vegas has been... Uh, looking very bad. They've won two in a row uh, and only four out of their last 10. Vegas is two points clear of Winnipeg, who sits at 74 points. Winnipeg's won seven out of their last 10. They're trying to make a late push here. Then the Vancouver Canucks uh, have 73 points. They're the last team that can really uh, secure a wild card spot. They're only four points back of Dallas. So uh, those four teams, Dallas, Vegas, Winnipeg, and Vancouver, uh, that's going to be uh, and you can even throw St. Louis and Nashville in there, too, at 81 and 82 points. So you can throw those uh, six teams in there, Nashville, St. Louis, Dallas, Vegas, and Winnipeg, uh, Vancouver, as the teams that are going to be fighting for uh, those two wild card spots and that three seed there in the Central. So it'll be very interesting to see how that turns out. Uh, Central Division is going to be uh, possibly represented five teams in the playoffs, which uh, it, it is probably the best division in hockey when you look at it. Uh, certainly have the best team in the league in Colorado. So, uh, But NHL season, like I said, we got a few more weeks. We'll start doing a playoff preview uh, once we get a tad closer to the actual playoff starting. 
But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across all of the various sports. We'll start off in the National Football League. The past couple episodes, we've had very busy free agent trade discussions, both in the NFL and Major League Baseball. This week is a lot more brief in those regards, but we still have some notable free agent signings that went down in the NFL this past week. Uh, Just after uh, trading away Tyreek Hill, the Kansas City Chiefs, they signed wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling to a three-year $30 million deal. So he basically fills in as Tyreek Hill's deep vertical threat replacement. Of course, he came from the Packers, so he went from one MVP quarterback in Aaron Rodgers to another in Patrick Mahomes. So Uh, He got paid in doing so, and the Chiefs also signed running back Ronald Jones to a one-year deal away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is good for Jones because for whatever reason, Bruce Arians uh, did not like him, so uh, Jones gets a fresh start there in Kansas City and uh, probably has a legitimate chance to get the starting job away from Clyde Edwards-Alaire. The Chicago Bears, they signed quarterback Trevor Simeon to a two-year, $4 million deal, and then they also signed a pair of wide receivers in Byron Pringle, who was most notably with the Chiefs, and Equinemius St. Brown, who was with the Packers as well. Both of those are one-year deals. Carolina Panthers signed running back Deontay Foreman and wide receiver Richard Higgins. Shout out to Mesquite High School here in Mesquite, Texas. Philadelphia Eagles have signed wide receiver Zach Paschal and linebacker Kaiser White to one-year deals to improve their depth there at those positions. The New York Giants signed running back Matt Breida and tight end Ricky Seals-Jones. Of course, they lost Evan Ingram in free agency to Jacksonville, so Ricky Seals-Jones is the replacement there. The New Orleans Saints, after re-signing Jameis Winston, they signed their veteran backup quarterback Andy Dalton to a one-year $6 million deal. Um, This is Dalton's third team in as many uh, years, so uh, he's just trying now to collect money, I think, before he calls it quits. And then the New England Patriots, they signed former first-round pick safety Jabril Peppers to a one-year deal. I think that's a good fit for Peppers. It never really worked out in uh, New York uh, on the Giants. He did have some good seasons, but um, you get Peppers, a versatile player like Peppers in Bill Belichick's defense, I think that's going to be a good signing for the Patriots, who surprisingly have been very uh, nonchalant here in free agency, a lot more than they were last year. Uh, A couple of stadium news articles to bring you. The first one deals with Empower Field at Mile High, which is the home of the Denver Broncos. Last week, uh, there was some kind of event held there during the week, and uh, it was near a construction zone uh, in the East Club Lounge, and there actually was a fire that had gotten started. And if you look at pictures on the internet, it looks like the fire was pretty good. Uh, the, The Denver Fire Department was able to get it extinguished before it really spread and did too much damage to the stadium, but they still have uh, five months to get that back up and running, so I think they'll be okay there. And then the other piece of stadium news, uh, basically from moving from burning down (laughs) to building up, uh, the Buffalo Bills, they announced that they have uh, agreed to a 30-year deal with the city of Orchard Park, New York, which is where they currently play. Uh, It's just outside Buffalo. They're going to build a new $1.4 billion stadium for the Buffalo Bills, which that's well overdue for the Bills. They have one of the older stadiums in the league uh, to go with one of the best teams in the league. So certainly need to catch up with the times there. The target date for opening that thing is going to be sometime in 2026. So there's still quite a few uh, games to be played in the current stadium. But Nonetheless, the Bills, uh, they may have a Super Bowl championship by the time that thing gets built. We'll see. Uh, A couple pieces of Detroit Lions news. And yes, you're probably wondering what the hell could that be? Who the hell wants to know about the Lions? But the first one is that the Detroit Lions are actually going to be featured on the HBO series Hard Knocks this year, where they go behind the scenes, cameras, microphones in the locker room, training camp, that kind of stuff. Um... Again, not really sure who wants to watch the Detroit Lions uh, on hard knocks, but uh, Dan Campbell, the coach, is an interesting dude. So it may actually be good TV. If you've seen any of his interviews, um, you know, he's very outspoken, very loud, boisterous. So 
that could be some good entertainment. And believe it or not, Detroit quarterback Jared Goff is making his third appearance on Hard Knocks because he did twice with the L.A. Rams in 2016 and 2020, and then now here in 2022 with the Detroit Lions. So uh, interesting there for Goff. And then the other piece of Detroit Lions news is that the city of Detroit, in conjunction obviously with the Detroit Lions, has been awarded the 2024 NFL Draft. And the draft is going to take place in downtown Detroit near the riverfront. And being that that is my hometown, I was born uh, in Detroit, um, you know, I approve of this. And uh, I definitely, Detroit obviously has its has its rap as, as being a bad city, but uh, it'll forever be my home. Uh, where I'm from, and um, I'm happy that the uh, the fans up there get to uh, host a draft. I know we just hosted it in Dallas here about three years ago, I think, and uh, it's really been a hit. The NFL moving the draft location around keeps it interesting. Of course, the uh, current draft this year is in a few weeks at in Las Vegas, so uh, no better place for a party than Vegas. But the biggest piece of NFL news uh, came out the other day, and it was the new overtime uh, pr- rule basically that went into effect. So uh, there were I talked several episodes back about three proposals for changes to the NFL's overtime rule. Uh, one of them, uh, well, there were two that were sent in. One by the Eagles, one by the Colts, and they both said the same thing. That one actually passed. The NFL approved that. Uh, now this rule applies only to overtime in playoff games. So the regular season overtime rules are still the same. But moving forward now in the playoffs, uh, both teams are going to have the opportunity to possess the ball in overtime. And if the score is tied after each team has possessed the ball, then the next score wins. And the caveat is that if the kicking team to start overtime scores a safety on the receiving team's initial possession, then the team that kicked off is the winner. So uh, interesting caveat there. I like that rule. I certainly think that probably needs to be uh, a rule even in the regular season. Uh, but I get there's more emphasis on the playoff games. And had this been in place this past season, uh, I do believe the Buffalo Bills would have played the Cincinnati Bengals in that AFC championship game. So um, keep an eye on that this year. Uh, last piece of NFL news, we had a retirement that was announced. Uh, former New Orleans Saints and Philadelphia Eagles Pro Bowl safety Malcolm Jenkins announced that he is retiring from the NFL after 13 years. Uh, He made several Pro Bowls, was definitely uh, a very good safety, uh, but he is calling it quits. Uh, We'll move over to Major League Baseball. This has also been a very uh, deep uh, segment here on the Around the Island the past couple episodes. Only a few free agent signings to go over. We've covered a lot of the major ones already. Um... Relief pitcher Sergio Romo, uh, you remember him most notably with the San Francisco Giants. He signed with the Seattle Mariners on a one-year deal. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, they have signed future Hall of Famer Albert Pujols to a one-year deal. So Pujols returns to St. Louis where he spent a good part uh, of his career and became the Hall of Fame player that he is. And you got to think that this is going to be uh, the last hoorah for Pujols. I think he's 42 or 43 years old, so... Um, I can see Pujols retiring after this year. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they re-signed uh, utility player Cattell Marte. He plays both infield and outfield. Five years, $76 million extension, basically, for, for Cattell Marte. So good signing there. And then the Minnesota Twins, they have signed uh, starting pitcher Chris Archer to a one-year deal. Uh, Archer, of course, was red hot a few years ago when uh, he played on the Tampa Bay Rays and since went to Pittsburgh, didn't have as much success there. Obviously, it's the Pirates, uh, but the Twins uh, got something going positive in the right direction, so uh, good for Chris Archer there. And then the only notable trade to report in Major League Baseball was at the Colorado Rockies and the Toronto Blue Jays. The uh, Rockies traded outfielder Ramiel Tapia to the Blue Jays in exchange for outfielder Randall Grichuk. So Grichuk is a power hitter, that should excel at Coors Field and probably hit 30 home runs this year, whereas Ramiel Tapia uh, moves from Colorado over to Toronto. Tapia is more of a contact uh, batting average guy with speed, so uh, I think that trade actually is pretty good, benefits both teams. The other piece of uh, Major League Baseball news, I came across the list of Forbes' most valuable teams in 2022. 
All right, and I'll read them off um, in descending order. The number one most valuable team, according to Forbes, is the New York Yankees at $6 billion. Uh, number two, Los Angeles Dodgers, $4.075 billion. Number three, Boston Red Sox, $3.9 billion. Uh, none of those three are surprising. I, I would have certainly guessed those three uh, probably in that order uh, for the most valuable teams. Fourth is the Chicago Cubs at $3.8 billion. Number five, San Francisco Giants, $3.5 billion. Number six, New York Mets, $2.65 billion. Number seven, St. Louis Cardinals, $2.45 billion. Number eight, Philadelphia uh, Phillies, $2.3 billion. Number nine, Los Angeles Angels, $2.2 billion. Number 10, the Atlanta Braves, the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves at $2.1 billion. Now, I have to throw this one in there because it's my favorite team. Number 11 is the Texas Rangers at $2.05 billion. I think that has a lot to do with the brand-new stadium and the fact that they spent $500 million on two big free agents this season. So uh, I just thought that was interesting to note. Uh, but we'll zip over real quick to the National Hockey League. Uh, this time of year is where we start to see uh, NHL teams sign some of their drafted players to NHL contracts, like entry-level contracts, two or three years, uh, especially from the college hockey ranks. Uh, we are at the Frozen Four. Uh, we have reached the Frozen Four here in college hockey, which is the equivalent of the Final Four for basketball. So a lot of guys are done playing college, and the, if the NFL team signs them to a contract, they can bring them up to their active roster immediately. Well, this past week, there were two notable such signings. Okay, The Toronto Maple Leafs, they signed forward Nick Abrazizi to a two-year entry-level deal, and he's already joined the Maple Leaf roster. And then the Ottawa Senators signed defenseman Jake Sanderson to a three-year entry-level contract. And he's, I believe he's already joined the Ottawa Senators. If he's not already there, then he will be there before the end of this week. Now, I, I only highlighted those two kids because they were part of Team USA's men's ice hockey team at the Beijing Olympics, uh, Abrazizi and Sanderson. So uh, good for those kids to, to do well on the Olympic stage. And then uh, even though Team USA came up short, uh, but they get to now begin their NHL careers. And the other NHL news, I mentioned a, a couple episodes ago about the World Cup of Hockey returning uh, in 2024. Uh, they did it a few years ago. It was a pretty big success. They're bringing it back in a couple years, which is awesome news. Uh, but they announced this past week that they're going to return to the old format of having countries only. So in the last World Cup, there was a Team North America and Team Europe. Basically, Team North America was made up of younger players. You had to be like younger than 23, I think, um, from the United States and Canada. Uh, those Basically, it was, a, it was an all-star team of U.S. and Canadian-born players that didn't make the U.S. or Canada rosters. They just did that to create a, another team, which they turned out to be pretty exciting and damn near won the whole thing. And then the same thing happened for Team Europe. They have their individual countries, obviously, all in Europe, but they had a Team Europe that was kind of a collection of a bunch of different other countries that weren't big enough to have their own team. So um, the World Cup of Hockey is removing both Team North America and Team Europe from that a tournament, so there will only be countries represented, you know, United States, Canada, Russia, uh, Slovakia, Slovenia, Czech Republic, Sweden, Finland, that kind of thing. So uh, interesting there. I'm looking forward to that. That's always a good time. And then a uh, real quick note on the PGA Tour, um, Tiger Woods was seen this week playing a practice round at Augusta National uh, the other day, which is sparking a lot of rumors that he is going to be participating in the Masters next weekend. Um, he's a five-time winner of the Masters, so uh, if he does decide to play, he's not taking a spot from somebody that is waiting to qualify, so that's good news there. But keep an eye on the situation. Um, I don't think he would go there and play a practice round if he wasn't seriously considering playing. He hasn't played any competitive golf. Uh, he played last uh, fall uh, in the PNC Championship, I believe. Uh, with his son Charlie, uh, but I think he only played because he got to play with his son. So uh, this year, um, you know, is different. This will be his first competitive round of golf. I certainly wouldn't expect him to compete at any high level, but just to see him out there would be pretty, pretty historic. Um, and then we'll wrap up the Around the Island with a couple of quick notes back from men's college basketball. I forgot to mention that North Carolina's Elite Eight victory uh, last weekend was their 130th victory in the tournament as a as a school, 
which is the most of all time. So no other school has more tournament wins in history. So any victory by North Carolina from here on out just continues to set that new mark. And then um, I did pick Villanova to beat Kansas in that game, the, the final four game this weekend. But I did fail to mention that if Villanova were to win the national championship this year, it would be their third title in the last six years, making them only the third school ever to win three national titles in a 10-year span. Of course, they won it in 2016, 2018, and if they were to win it this year, it would be three times in six years. The only other two programs to do that, to win three uh, national titles in 10 years, would be uh, the late 1940s, early 1950s Kentucky team, and the mid-1960s to early-1970s UCLA team, where they won, I think, five or six natties in a row. Um, One team here recently has been close to that. It was UConn, and uh, from 2004 to 2015, 11-year span, they they won three uh, out of 11. So they failed to make that three and 10, but they were just outside. So I just wanted to mention those extra facts about men's college basketball. Uh, But that's going to wrap up the 69th episode of Sports Island and uh, another busy weekend in sports this week. Um, Like I said, NHL season, NBA season's coming down to the wire. NBA season's about to wrap up about this time next week, about a week and a half or so. Uh, So keep an eye on the playoff races there. And then men's college basketball, we have our final four games this Saturday in New Orleans, and the national championship game next Monday, April 4th, also in New Orleans. So uh, we will have a national championship game to talk about uh, on next week's episode. And, um, you know, we'll have some uh, decent golf here this weekend in San Antonio. So uh, whatever whatever your favorite uh, viewing uh, program is for sports, you'll be sure and tune in to that this weekend because there is plenty going on. So we will catch up on all of it on next week's episode. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.